Thank you so much, Raphael. I really appreciate that. Okay, guys, thank you very much. I should warn, start with an apology. I didn't want this job. Uh, I grew up in Dublin, and I desperately wanted to be a famous, successful Irish novelist. Tragically, I had a happy childhood. So, I'm with you today, and my job is to try and make the Irish voting system seem sexy and exciting, so anything you can do to help would be great. Um, I want to start with a role play. <coughs> Sorry. I want you to imagine that you go to a restaurant and you're trying to cut down on meat, so you order a big green salad. And 20 minutes later, the waiter comes back and he goes, I'm so sorry, we're out of salad, I brought you a hamburger. You would probably be unimpressed, okay? Maybe you'd eat the hamburger to be polite, I don't know, but you, you wouldn't be very happy. And after this, you leave and you go to the cinema. And you want to see a Swedish language historical drama, you're very excited, you pay your money, and the guy says, I'm so sorry, that's sold out. Here's a ticket to The Fast and the Furious. I think you'd be furious. Fast. Because your night's been ruined, because people aren't listening to what you want, they're not, you know... Uh, but amazingly, this is exactly the system that we use to pick the government in two of the world's most powerful democracies, the UK and the USA. Being Irish, we're stuck in the middle of those, so we kind of, you know, we pay attention. And, like, that's 40% of the UN Security... Sorry, yeah, 40% of the UN Security Council. Another 40% is Russia and China. So when France is your best hope of democracy, like, you know, that, that sets an alarm bell off for me. And to be fair to Britain and America, the reason that they have such fundamentally flawed democracies is because they're just really, really old, okay? American democracy dates back to the 1780s, which is incredible. It's like having a laptop from 1985. Okay? At the time, it was amazing. It was like, oh my God, this is so fast and responsive. You'll get so much done. And they did. But you've got to keep updating the operating software. Okay? Because if you're using a laptop from 1985, it will struggle to deal with Twitter and Facebook news and WikiLeaks. And you can try to make it run faster by deleting 30,000 old emails, but somehow that will make the problem worse. Also, it's quite easy to be hacked by Russia. So, lots of problems with, with the American democracy laptop. And, and fundamentally, the choice the American people had in 2016 was to give the laptop either to the one woman in history who'd read the entire instruction manual, or to a very angry man in a suit who would smash it against a wall, which someone else would pay for. And I understand that we've all had the frustration of the laptop going, why aren't you working? And you know, you want to give it to a guy. The trouble is, if you, if you smash the laptop, you have to go back to the old system where the person in charge just gives verbal instructions and other people write them down and then, and then carry them out. And the problem with that is, if you do that, then the person in charge isn't really a president anymore. They are literally a dictator. So this is the situation that we face ourselves in, right? H have you ever wondered, for example, why Americans vote in November? and they don't get a new president or a new congress until January. Anyone ever wondered what's going on there? 1780s laptop, right? Go back to the 1780s, everyone works in agriculture. So until October, they're gathering the harvest. By November, they have a bit of time, they can vote. Then they have to count the votes, and they have to get the results by stagecoach from, San from California over to Washington, D.C., which takes three months, which is the fastest you can do it in the 1780s, right? Um, it was a lot faster than the European system of the time, which was wait for the king to die and then give it to his son. You know, that's a lot faster, but, but now it's a pretty, you know, three months is a long time. So, 
That's the American model. Ireland, we, we got our independence from Britain a little bit later. Uh, we, we asked them politely to leave, but it took a while longer. So we got a laptop in 1922, and it was much more up to date. And there was one particularly exciting thing that, that it had, which is the way that we vote. In Britain and America, you look at all of the candidates on the slate, and you put an X beside your favorite choice, and that's it. In Ireland, you look at all the candidates, and you put a one beside your favorite choice. Then you put a two beside your second favorite choice, and a three beside your third. You guys are smart, you can work out how this goes, right? And as a voter, that is all you need to know. It's, it's no more complicated than that. Now, the way we count the votes is really complicated, and I can get into that if any nerds in the room want to afterwards find me, and we'll talk through the dynamics of quotas. But basically, all you need to know is this. So if you go back to the restaurant I mentioned at the beginning, you might say, one, I want a green salad. Two, I want a vegetarian stir-fry. Three, I want tomato soup. So if the waiter goes into the kitchen and there's no green salad, he goes, oh, no green salad, well, vegetarian stir-fry it is. It's not exactly what you wanted, but it's an awful lot closer. So, how does this actually work uh, in practice? Uh, I'm going to give you an example, a very simple example from 1990 of the Irish presidential election. There are only three candidates, okay? And bear in mind, in Ireland, it's like Britain. In Britain, you have the prime minister who has political power, and you have the queen who is above politics and kind of represents everybody. In Ireland, we have a prime minister who has the political power and a president who we elect who represents everyone. So the presidency is a largely symbolic role. And for most of our history, it was occupied by members of the biggest party, basically retiring senior politicians who, you know, would do the right things and say the right things on St. Patrick's Day, but didn't do a lot with the job. And so the biggest party, Fianna Fáil, does the same thing. They, they pick a very seasoned 60-year-old uh, politician who's been deputy prime minister and minister for foreign affairs, good guy, Brian Lenehan. The second biggest party, Fine Gael, picks a civil rights campaigner from Northern Ireland called Austin Curry. And the third biggest party, Labour, picks a 46-year-old mother of three who is a human rights lawyer who's been fighting a legal case to try and get homosexuality decriminalised in Ireland. Because up until the 1990s, it was illegal to be gay in Ireland, but only for men, because nobody had wanted to have that conversation with Queen Victoria back in the day. So, just never cut put on the law. And in the first round of voting, Mr. Status Quo, Brian Lenehan, gets 44%. Northern Irish guys, uh, Austin Curry gets 17%. And Mary Robinson, the human rights lawyer, gets 39%. So in America and Britain, we have our winner. It's the status quo, it's Brian Lenehan, he is elected. But in Ireland, we said, no, 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 no. We eliminate the lowest candidate, the Northern Ireland civil rights guy. We ask the 17% who voted for him, well, what's your second choice? And 80 to 90% of them said, actually, we want Mary Robinson. And so May Robinson won that election by over 50% and became our first female president. And she had a much better vision for the role. She became an ambassador around the world. And when she stood down seven years later, she was so popular that every other party was looking to find the next Mary Robinson. There were six candidates in that race. Five of them were women. And the only man came last. We ended up with 21 years of uninterrupted female presidents, all called Mary because it is Ireland. But that was a really important moment for us as a country. And, and compare this to what happens in the United States. Ah, can I pull this away? Yes, is that, is that better? I was, I, was, I was too loud, I'm so sorry. It's, I get excited, you see. It's, it is, I told you, Irish voting, it's exciting, it's sexy. Uh, so, compare this to what happens in America. Now, we all know that Donald Trump is the president, we all know he beat Hillary Clinton. But let's just rewind a little bit to the primaries, when Trump's job was to get the support of the Republican Party. Now, this is the poll from early on, it's kind of a random poll I picked out, and you can see Trump is way out ahead, 
but he's only on 30%, okay? Because Trump's strategy at this time was, was really clever for the American system. He kept saying outrageous things like, Mexico is sending drugs and rapists, and he said we should stop all Muslims entering America. And he kept insulting his other candidates. He called little Marco Rubio, lion Ted Cruz, low energy Jeb Bush. And it was a great strategy because everyone talked about it, and 30% of people said, we love that. He's staying it like it is, he's standing up, he's defending our rights. But 70% of Republicans didn't like it. But they were divided between all of these candidates. And the, the smart people among you will have noticed, that's not 100%. There's another 15% which is divided between nine other people. So this is his thing, it was divide and conquer. And he absolutely crushed the opposition. But let's say we started to eliminate Chris Christie and see where his votes go, and George Bush, and, we, and, and uh, Ted Cruz, and Marco Rubio. How many of the people who Trump has just insulted their favorite candidates, how many of their supporters are going to go to Trump? I don't think that many. Now, that's speculation, and I can't prove it. But what I can do is show you a very Trump-like figure where we actually did the experiment. This is the French election from 2002. Right? And the French have a kind of a hybrid system between Ireland and America. So instead of having one election and just the top person is the winner, they have one election, they count all the votes, then they pick the top two and they have a runoff election. Two weeks later, same electorate, two, two votes. I, I would say the Irish one is faster and more efficient, but anyway, this is how the French do it. And in the first round, we have Jacques Chirac and Jean-Marie Le Pen, a very Trump-like figure who promises to return France to its great imperial past and blames immigrants for all sorts of problems. And he just narrowly beats the French left leader, Lionel Jospin, because the French left divided. They supported, some of them supported Beirut and various other players uh, down here. What happens then is everyone is eliminated except the top two, and they vote again in two weeks. Same electorate, same election, same idea. And incredibly, Jean-Marie Le Pen went from 17% 18%. In other words, 1% of all of these people down here wanted Jean-Marie Le Pen, and everyone else got behind Jacques Chirac. The French left famously had a slogan, vote for the crook, not the fascist, right? That's how much they hated Chirac, but they still knew he was... And this is the world that we live in. We live in a world where there are divisive candidates who will say things that are inflammatory and that some people really love, but most other people don't like that much. And so that's the kind of politics that I'm suggesting might work better in the States. Now, I want to finish up by telling you what impacts this has on Irish politics versus British and American politics. So the first one is your vote in Ireland counts. This is the British election in 2015, and you can see the difference between how many votes people got, and actually 36% is enough to form a majority in the parliament. Um, in Ireland, if you vote, your vote will elect somebody, maybe not your first choice, but somebody, 80% of the time. In Britain, only 32% of voters actually choose the government. The other two-thirds of people might as well just stay at home. And what's really interesting about this is it shows how divisive politics works, okay? The Scottish National Party here, who got 4.7% of the vote, get a huge boost because all of their people are in Scotland. And this is, bear in mind, this is one year on from a referendum on Scottish independence. And I've been talking a lot about people like Le Pen and Trump, but this is not just divisive politics of the populist right-wing variety. Scottish, national, Scottish independence is supported by all kinds of people with all kinds of ideas. But the SNP lost that referendum by a clear majority. 55% of Scottish people wanted to stay in the UK. And yet, because that 55 was divided between supporters of the, the Tories, Labour, and the Lib Dem Liberal Democrats, the SNP, with their 45%, won almost every seat in Scotland. So divisive politics is rewarded by this system. Uh, meanwhile, the Lib Dems, who run all over the place, get 7.9%. They got eight seats. 
there's a party in Northern Ireland who aren't on this, because Northern Ireland doesn't count in Britain, of course, who had 0.6% of the vote and also got eight seats. So they had you know, one twelfth the vote of these guys, and they got the same number of seats. And you see here, UKIP gets a huge vote, but one seat. The Greens get a pretty big vote and only one seat. So that's the first thing, your vote counts in Ireland. The second thing is we end up with, as I said, col more collaborative politics. If you look at the environmental issue, which is very topical at the moment, voters all over the world are saying climate change is important, we want to tackle climate change. And in Britain and America, because if you vote for the Greens, you can't vote for anyone else, the left-wing parties who might naturally ally with the Greens, the Democrats and Labour, go, oh, don't vote for the Greens, they're too idealistic, they'll never get in, they can't win, vote for us and we'll do the Green stuff and other stuff too. So they're attacking the Green Party and the Green Party attack them. In Ireland, exactly the opposite is happening. The same phenomenon of voters going, we need to care about climate change. So in Ireland, everyone is bending over backwards to try and say, oh, well, we're green too. We love the Greens. Greens are great. We, we could really work with the Greens. And this because they want, if the Greens get votes and then they, they don't make it, people want those transfers. They want the votes to go to them afterwards. So at the, at the moment, Dublin City Council is run by a coalition of the Green Party and three other sort of vaguely centre-lefty type parties working in coalition together. Um, the next thing is that more parties give you more choice. I'm going to show you, actually, this is, this is going to melt your heads a bit, but this is, an, this is one constituency in Ireland South. A lot of independents, right? But up here we have the parties. And because we, we have a lot of parties, but I would argue this is actually a really good thing, because currently there are about 10 parties for 4.5 million people in Ireland. America has 325 million people and two parties. That's insane. I mean, like, okay, if they had as many as we have per head of population, it'd be like a thousand, which is also insane. But somewhere between two and a thousand, surely there's a number like seven or 15 that would be kind of about right, okay? And, and the thing that happens is, is we have this problem, these big tent parties, because the only way to win in Britain or America is to have a big party that get lots of votes. And there's therefore an identity crisis. You can see it in, is, are the Democrats in America, are they the party of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders, or are they the party of Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi? This huge identity crisis. Same thing is happening in Britain. Does Jeremy Corbyn speak for Labour? Does Tom Watson speak for Labour or Yvette Cooper? All of these ideological fights. In Ireland, we just have loads of different left-wing parties. So. Fianna Fáil, centrist a bit left, anti-establishment left, nationalist left, Green Party, environmental left, Fianna Fáil, we've done them already, Fine Gael, a bit right of centre, right of centre, Labour, sort of traditional left, people before profit, more radical left. And the voters decide who they want to be represented by. And in this case, if, you had an, if this was an American election, you'd have one, two, three, four, five. But actually, when you did the transfers, Sinn Féin, nationalist left, not quite as popular, it turns out, on transfers. Whereas the Greens were more popular, and down here, Deirdre Clune of Fine Gael, one of her people got eliminated, and that gave her what the support she needed to make it over the top. Um, the other thing this changes is the way we talk about politics. I don't know if you ever watch American political news coverage. I'm possibly the only person nerdy enough to do that. I watch a lot of it. And it's all about demographics. It's about white suburban soccer moms in this area are going to vote this way, and you know, Latino vote has gone up since the last election. That's going to help the Democrats which basically incentivizes you know, demographic hostility among different groups. And politics shouldn't be that simple. The joyous thing in Ireland is this is such a complicated mess. Nobody can meaningfully say, well, Latinos, and we do have a few, not a, not a huge amount, but we have some, are going to vote for you know, this candidate. Over it just, you just can't get into that because Latinos might vote for lower taxes, or they might vote for environmental uh, protections, or they might vote for workers' rights. You just don't know. And so you have to have a conversation about the policy and about the ideas rather than simply about the, um, 
demographics. Uh, and the final thing that I want to say uh, is, and I'm, I'm going to leave you on this. Uh, we started with a role play. I do want to finish with a role play. I want you to imagine that you are a, an operative for either Cambridge Analytica or the Russian government, and you go into work, and your boss says, Dmitry, I have a new mission for you. Your first task, to get anti-migrant anti candidate, uh, this man here, Peter O'Loughlin, elected. In, in, where do you start? Good luck with that. Thank you very much.